You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Hope you're doing well. Um, Before we jump in today, I just want to celebrate a couple things as we were singing that song, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. Uh, God has just been pouring out his blessings on our church family. And I just want to take a a minute just to even share some of the stuff that sometimes may seem little, but it actually is is huge. Um, Back to about a month ago, we got a phone call from a construction company that was demoing NCH's Uh, one of their hospitals down in Naples, and it was something called the Bear's Den. And they had this beautiful commercial uh, playset, children's playset, that they were going to be tearing down. And they called us up, and then we sent a crew down there and ended up getting this playset that we'll be able to build on our property here. Something that we would have thought maybe would have taken three to five years for us to be able to do as a church now is going to become a reality for our church and the community around us to come to enjoy the goodness of the Lord and what he's blessed us with. Um, So that happened about a month ago. Uh, Then as we've been exploring some of the renovations um, with the hurricane, this building was damaged, that building was damaged, that building did not have insurance on it, Uh, that building was donated to us. Um, So that was another blessing that the Lord had given us. Um, And so we were fixing the hurricane damage over there, redoing roofs and soffits and gutters and windows and doors. Um, And we saw that there was going to be about a $100,000 shortfall. Um, And so our uh, advisory team has been praying through, what does that look like? What are we going to do? Are we going to come to our people? Um, And then about two weeks ago, walked into my office and there was a check on there for $100,000 just sitting on my desk. And I'm just like, Um, Praise God. And then we're preparing for this fall fest, and uh, the team is looking into renting some tents because it's hot, Um, and uh, we didn't want everybody, especially the people that are cooking, to sweat, and um, and tents can be expensive if you're renting them. And I get a random text message yesterday um, at my in-law's house, and uh, it says, hey, can you do me a favor? I accidentally shipped. It's someone who who comes to FMCC when they're in town, uh, but she's partners with Mark Stocklin. They support the ministry of Haiti Bible Mission, and so we know them through them, and uh, she said, she has an Airbnb across the street, and she said, hey, I accidentally hit the wrong address for these two tents that um, I'm going to be doing something up here for, and I need someone to go pick them up and return them for us, unless you want them. (laughs) So these two big, beautiful, white tents that um, we were looking to rent. Actually, we were looking to rent something a little smaller because it was too expensive. Um, Now the Lord is providing a way for us. So I just want to celebrate what the Lord is doing in our midst. I mean, it's just... You can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's, it's, it's just praise God from whom all blessings flow. Um, So I want a little interaction here. Today's going to be an interactive day. Uh, So I want you to just make some noise. If you're not a noisemaker, you can raise your hand. Um, If you work in in like an office, raise your hand. If you do some kind of office work. Come on, let me hear you. All right. Um, So office work. Uh, What about if you are an outside worker? Maybe construction or if you work outside, work with your hands. Um, Okay, awesome. Very cool. Uh, what about uh, the medical field? Do we have any medical field personnel? Yeah, we've got a bunch of them around. Yep. Um, uh, students, where are my students at? All right, good, good. You guys work, right? You work hard at your schoolwork. I know you do, um, especially the homeschoolers. Uh, and then uh, we've got parents. You work hard. Where are my parents at? Yeah, okay. You work and toil and strive. Um, what about retired folk? Do we have any retirees? Yeah, okay. Awesome. Uh, first responders, where are my first responders? Thank you all so much for your service. Let's hear it for our first responders. 
I believe, I don't see him, I believe Jose's probably even working today, um, one of our pastoral residents. But last week, we spoke about rest. And so I'm sure you were coming into here if you were here last week, and, and that was a great moment to talk about the rest that we have before the Lord in Sabbath, Sabbath rest, the Shabbat, and what it means for us to spend time every day, every minute, every moment, and every week in intentional rest, worshiping the Lord with all we do. And then today we're going to talk about work. So who loves to get things done? Where you at? Who likes to get things done? Husbands, be careful. Your wife's about to write a honeydew list for you. She's like, oh, you do? Oh. Um, did you know we were made to work? And work can bring glory to God. So there's three things I'd like us to see today as we're looking at this passage. One, we were made intimately. Two, we were placed intentionally. And then three, we were commissioned imperatively. So let me pray, and then we're going to jump in. Father, we are humbly coming before you through the beauty and the grace of what Jesus has done on the cross. We can interact with you. We can talk to you. We can have personal, intimate relationship with you because of Jesus and what he has done for us then you have placed your spirit inside of us to lead, guide, and direct us. And so right now, spirit, I pray that you would illuminate inside of us an understanding of your word that would not uh, be fleeting as we walk through the doors to leave, but actually that would stick inside of us and grow into a tree that bears fruit. God, plant us near streams of water that we may grow and multiply for your name and for your glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So the first thing here, we were created intimately. Probably one of my most favorite verses in the Bible is verse 7 that we're reading here in chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. You know, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the creation story. The power of God's words, creating mountains and fish and birds and buffalo and the platypus. Like, I mean, he speaks it and it comes into being. But then there's this moment in chapter 2 in verse 7. And, and this right here, I, I love watching my five-year-old play. Like she's probably have been one of our best players because she truly makes her, uh, her toys come to life. Um, there's such an intimacy that she has with the characters that she plays with. And, and so she gets down really close to her toys and she's speaking to them. And she's making them speak. And I think it's such a beautiful example of, of the creation story because at one point God, God speaks and creates the mountains and the trees and the birds and all that stuff. But then with man and woman, he, he intimately begins to, with his hands and his mouth and his, his being, create and form man and woman, right? And so he forms them and creates man and woman 
intimately. And then, like, the beauty of this is not that he just forms it and creates it, but then there's this intimacy to breathe the breath of life into the nostrils of man. This is beautiful. This is intimate. The God of the universe desires to have this type of interaction, uh, intimate relationship with us. And he breathes the breath of life. You would freak out if this thing came to life, right? Um, Into us so that we may know him and have relationship with him. There's an intimacy here that, that in the creation of man, this is the kind of relationship that God has created us to have with God and with one another. And in a few weeks, we're going to talk about the relationship between man and woman, and we're going to talk about the relationship that we have with one another. But God, even in himself, has always existed in relationship. I want you to think about that. There's a, a, a doctrine seen all throughout Scripture. This is, this is what is known, that there is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I love what St. Athanasius says in the 4th century. He says, the Father has never been without his Son. The amazing mystery of the origin of personality is that one God exists as three persons in one being or substance or reality. The one substance or being of God inherently involves personhood. God created us for relationship. And he intimately created man and woman in his image. Intimately, intentionally, equally with different roles and giftings and biology. And I love how John MacArthur puts this. He's an author and pastor and writer and he says, it was not only Adam who bore the image of God. But the woman did too, as well as all of their offspring. We see this in Genesis 1.26. The antecedent of the plural term, uh, the plural them, is the noun man, used collectively in this case. It clearly refers not only to Adam, but all of humanity. So there's no like greater or less than between man and woman being created in the image of God, but we, humanity, have been created intimately and personally and interactively by a holy God. And we're going to break this down even more in a few weeks as we, as we talk about how God has created man and woman to support one another and, and live together in relationship, not only in a marriage relationship, but with one another as his church to be in relationship. That's what God has done. God has made you intimately for a purpose to glorify him and enjoy him. And he has placed us intentionally in a specific place. Look at verse 8. God planted a garden, and there he put the man. He made this garden for the man. Here we see the blessings that God surrounds man with. God has given man everything. All the relationships that you have in your life, God has given you. Now, I know that's sometimes difficult to fathom because relationships can be tense based off of sin. We don't necessarily get along with everyone, 
But to reorient our brains or to change our perspective to realize that God has given you relationships in your life for a purpose. He has placed you in every single one of those relationships intentionally. Everywhere where you live specifically, he's placed you there intentionally. Where you work, he has placed you there intentionally. The places you play, he has placed you there intentionally. And so we see this when God makes the garden and then takes man and places him in the garden. He, he made these trees to bear fruit and vegetables for man to eat. He, he creates animals for us to enjoy. He created this grass for us to lay in. And I know that we don't know that here in Florida because we don't like to lay in our grass here. Um, But if you ever go up north, it's just wonderful to lay in the grass. Um, I think sin has really crept into the grass down here in Florida. Um, The water that refreshes us, that we drink, that we, we jump into in the pool or in the ocean, like God has created that for man to enjoy intentionally. You've you've been placed exactly where you are for a purpose, a specific purpose, to make him known. Every relationship, every person you interact with, the things you do with work and play, He has given you the talents, the gifts, the abilities to do those things intentionally to make him known. Now, if if you're a guest and you're coming in here maybe for the first time, or if you're someone who, who doesn't really truly understand who God is and who Jesus is and what he has done for you, maybe maybe you would say you're you're not religious, maybe you would say you're not spiritual. I interact, I'm a, I'm a realtor, so I have a, a job outside of the church that I interact with a ton of people. And, and often when they hear that I'm a pastor, one of the number one things that I hear is that they're like, well, well I'm just not religious. I'm not spiritual. That's, that's often the, the interaction that I receive. And what I want you to know, that you are welcome here, if that's you today. But God has placed you here intentionally and specifically today in this very moment, not to make you religious or spiritual. I want you to understand this. He's not placed you here to make you religious or spiritual. He didn't lead you here today to make you good. He wants to offer you life. The beauty of the gospel is that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, made us alive in Christ. By grace, we have been saved through faith, not because anything we have done, but because a gift of God has been given to us through Jesus. So if you're here today and you're like, I don't understand spirituality, I don't want to be religious, God hasn't called you to those things. He's called you to a relationship with him. He wants you to know him because he knows you. And he has made you in his image. And then there are those of us that are here today that would say, yeah, I do, I have trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, he has placed you in your job. He has placed you in your neighborhood, in your family, students, in your school, in your sports for a purpose. And that's to tell others about him. 
This is the good news of the gospel. This is what God has called us to, invited us to be a part of in our work. So God has created us intimately. He has placed us intentionally. And then he has commissioned us imperatively. And as I put those two words together, I'm like, I have even some tension grammatically on on how that works. But, But I feel like this is really, like, important for us to understand that we have been commissioned imperatively to to do something. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. Now, I want us to see what these words work and keep mean. Uh, In the NLT, it actually uses the word tend and watch. This word in the Hebrew would mean to cultivate, to dress, to serve, to steward. Now, I know you're asking, well, isn't work the, the consequence for man after sin? And I think that's a really good question to ask. I'm, I'm thankful that you're asking that question right now. But, but I want us to ask the question, is this passage right here in, in Genesis 2, um, verse 8, is it pre-sin or post-sin? Pre-fall or post-fall? It's pre-fall. He placed man intentionally in the garden to work and keep it before sin ever entered. So we were made to work. So often I think we see work as such a a toil because post-sin, we were to work by toil and the sweat of our brow. We see that in Genesis 3.19, and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But God has and will redeem our work. And I think we could even look look to the, to the eternal mindset of this thing and think towards, like, in heaven, like, even ask the question, like, are we going to be working in heaven? I think that's a, a good question to be asking. And, and I don't think that it's explicit uh, throughout Scripture, but I believe yes, and here's why. Because work wasn't toil. In fact, there was no line between work and play. Like, Adam and Eve truly enjoyed cultivating and tending the garden. They enjoyed it. Like for some of you here, like your green thumbs, you love to, to work in the garden. Like, but they weren't pulling weeds because weeds weren't a thing. Weeds are a product of sin. No. Um, like, we, like they were working and keeping it out of an overflow of joy and enjoyment for God. Adam wasn't working for a living. He had the fullness of life. We work for a living post-sin, and so we work and toil by the sweat of our brow. But God has and will redeem our work. I think with the proper perspective to enjoy God and worship him above all, we can experience this in part here on this side of eternity. And I say in part because sin ruins it. But I do think if our mindset is fixed and focused on enjoying God, if our mindset is fixed and focused on making him known, then it changes how we work. Jesus has not only redeemed our sin, his redemption covers our work. Look at Colossians 3.23. Work willingly, some would even say joyfully at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. How does that become a reality when our perspective shifts from working for a living to the fact that God has given us our job so that we can make him known? 
You know, I even think that this plays in retirement. I think often we spend our lives toiling for a certain uh, age or level, and then we retire and think, I'm done with work. But, but work should not be, uh, retirement should not be the final completion away from work, but an earthly release from toil to serve God fully. Do I need to read that again? Retirement should not be the final completion away from work, but an earthly release from toil to serve God fully. The missional mindset that we see in Ephesians 4.28 says, Don't steal, but work, that they may have something to share with those in need. What is greater for us to share with those in need than the beauty and the goodness of Jesus. There is a world around you. If you're sitting here today and you're retired, there is a world around you that has one of the greatest needs, and it's not your finances, is that they don't know who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And so the greatest thing that you can give the rest of your life to and not waste your life is is to glorify God by making him known everywhere you live, work, and play. And if you're a student and you're sitting here today and you're like, well, I've got a long life ahead of me of work. Everything you do, glorify God by enjoying him and making him known. Work often can become our identity. Anybody else struggle with that? Work can become our identity, whether it's in the home, moms, dads, or whether it's in the, in the physical workplace, it could be the things that we're giving ourselves to. Maybe, maybe it's work in um, crafting or work in how, whatever kind of work that we toil at. It could become our identity. But work should not be our identity. In fact, uh, the author and writer Tim Keller says this. When work is your identity, if you are successful, it goes to your head. If you are a failure, it goes to your heart. Work cannot be our identity. Our identity is in the fact that we have an intimate creator who has formed us and made us exactly who we are for a purpose, to love him and know him and serve him. In this commissioning to work and keep, we see the boundaries for man's protection and joy. And I think that in verses 16 and 17, we see the first beginnings of God beginning to lay out some boundaries for us to understand and know on this earth what it means and what it looks like to enjoy him to the fullest. Look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. That is why he created every tree in the garden, for man to enjoy and to eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In our work and our life, God has invited us to enjoy all that he has created for us. But then he places these boundaries. He says, do not eat this, for this will bring you death. God knows what is for our good. God knows what will bring us life. And he also knows what will bring us death. death. And God's boundaries do not. His, his law, his boundaries do not stop us from enjoyment 
but he actually uses his boundaries to accentuate our enjoyment. So when he says, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, that word surely is actually the word freely. You shall freely eat. This is, this is a perspective of, of t- to your full, fully satisfied by the things that I have provided and given you. It's actually the same word that the prophet Joel used when he wrote Joel 2.26. He said, you shall eat, that surely eat, in plenty, and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never again be put to shame. This is the same idea. He pulled from Genesis this word that we see here, that we can fully enjoy that which is God has given us. But then God also places these boundaries in our lives to say, hey, don't do these things because these things will bring you death. Guess what? God does not want you to experience death, but he wants you to experience life. And often, we pursue temporary satisfaction and fulfillment instead of eternal satisfaction and fulfillment. It's, it's kind of like surrounding your life or filling your life with fast food all the time versus eating things that will nourish your body. God has created food for our nourishment, and this is coming from a foodie. I have to understand this. Like, he's created food for my nourishment, not for me to gorge myself and be gluttonous and for me to just, just give myself to the things of this world just to, just to satisfy me temporarily. And that's how we live our lives. He says, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. This is not a call to religion, but an invitation into relationship. He is the source of our joy. See, religion focuses our attention on rules over relationship. Do we understand this? Religion focuses on the rules over relationship. So we got things like lying and pride and self-centeredness and sexual immorality and drunkenness and cheating and stealing. All of that's going to bring us death. Even if you think you've gotten away with it. Students, I think one of the most difficult things that I learned growing up was this idea that... um, if I wasn't caught, it was okay. Like if people didn't know that I was doing this, then, then I was good because I wasn't getting in trouble. But none of the things that I did in those moments ever brought me life. In fact, what it did is it caused in me a craving for more of the junk, just like sugar does. I don't know if you know how sugar works, but, but it's an addiction. And the more you eat sugar, the more you crave sugar. And so what it does, what sin does to us is it lures us in by attracting us saying, hey, try this out. It may bring you some temporary satisfaction. And we think if we can do this in private, if nobody finds out about it, then, then it's okay. And I want you to know it's not. It will only bring you death. The devil's going to try to convince you in the small things and the big things that these things are okay. And I want you to know It will only destroy your life. God has a purpose for things like sex. 
He has a purpose for things like relationship between a man and a woman. He has purpose for things like relationship with his church. He has purpose for your work. He has purpose for the things you enjoy to do. But it's for his name and his glory. And there is a big difference. And if you're tracking with me, if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, you know that when you live your life in such a way or do something to the glory of God, there is a sense of joy and fulfillment that you have felt in those moments that far exceeds anything that you can do with a substance. It just does. And, and until you've experienced the goodness of the Lord, you don't know what I'm talking about. Because you're sitting there, you're like, but I don't get it. And that, that just pushes me back to helping you understand that a relationship with God is what God has intimately created you for. He has made you for a purpose. He's created you intimately. He's placed you intentionally where you are and commissioned you imperatively, not to a religion, but into a relationship. God set up boundaries for man's protection and joy. And so trust him when he says, don't eat. Trust him. So here's the good news. Jesus completed his work for us. Jesus, sometimes I, I don't remember this or wrap my mind around this, but Jesus existed in a place where he was being worshipped 24-7, where he had everything he could ever desire. He, was, he didn't want anything. He didn't grow tired. He didn't grow hungry. He didn't bleed. And he left that. To be born a baby, to, to be born in a manger, in a, in a trough of an animal that they eat out of and drink out of, because he knew that we had a need. He knew that that intimacy was broken because we had walked away from him. And, and so he got tired, and he got hungry, and he bled, and he experienced physical beatings and death. And all of that work that he put into this life was completed in the moment when he was on the cross and he was hanging there. And he said these words, it is finished. Jesus finished his work for you. So you don't have to toil and strive for his salvation. He has given that to you by faith through grace. So when we talk about we were made to work, we're not talking about the fact that we have to pull up our bootstraps, that we have to get to work, that we have to get God to acknowledge us because of how hard we work. No, it's because of how hard he worked and all the work he did on the cross for you and for me that we have life in him. So then what is our response to the fact that we no longer have to toil and strive and work for his approval? The response is that we joyfully work for his glory. That's the response, is that there's a joy and an awe and a satisfaction and a wonder in the fact that every moment that we have to pull a weed or be out in the hot sun or whatever it may be, that we can work to the glory of God in the enjoyment of him for his glory. This is not a pull up your bootstraps to earn God's favor 
Because you are right now in this very moment fully known and fully loved because of what Jesus did for you. And so there's an acknowledgement in our hearts and our minds to say, God, I trust that you did everything I will ever need for my salvation. And now I will live the rest of my life for your name and for your glory. So when we say work, we don't say that with the toil and strive idea that we have post-fall. We say that with this joy and emphasis on, no, we can be fully satisfied in God as we go and make him known throughout the world in everything that we do. So when we work unto the Lord, we work unto the Lord, not men. When, when our boss is, is heavy pressing down on us to, for deadlines and treating us poorly, we work unto the Lord, not men. When, when we have dissension in our marriage, we strive and work to glorify God by men laying down your life, just as Jesus laid down his life for you. And women submitting to your husband, not because he deserves it, but because of what the Lord has done for you. God is good. And he loves you very much. He intimately created you. He placed you intentionally. And he's commissioned you imperatively to joyfully work for his glory. I'm going to put a psalm on the screen. And this is how I want us to end. I want us to read this together. And I'm actually going to ask us to read it together three times. Um, there's something beautiful in Scripture, as you go throughout all of, of Scripture, that when you see something said three times in a row, there's like this completeness to it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so what I want us to do is I want us to read this three times to speak to the Lord our desires for what we want Him to accomplish in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Psalm 90, verse 17. Would you read this with me three times? May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. All for your name and your glory, Lord. Amen. Father, Thank you that you have given us life and life to the full. God, that you finished the work on the cross so that we may have life in you. So I pray that our lives would be a beacon of hope for the community around us. Everywhere we live, work, and play, Lord, because of sin, we toil and strive. Because of sin, there are broken relationships. Because of sin, there is addiction to substances and the abuse of the things that you have created for us to enjoy. But God, I pray, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would redeem all of those things. That you would help us to lay aside that which will only bring death. And that you will cause in us you will cause in us a surrender and admiration and awe of who you are and what you have done for us in such a way that we would make your name great. That we would live our lives, whether it is as a student, as a child, as a parent, as an office worker, 
as someone who works outside, as a first responder, and everything in between. Even in our retirement, Lord, I pray that we would work for your name and for your glory, making you known, because you are the source of life. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.